All right. Y'all excited to meet that little guy? Yeah. All right. Well, y'all been showing a lot of love, and I know they are so grateful. Uh, Pastor Troy and Melody have just really shared how much they appreciate all the church has been doing and, and the love that's been poured out. And it's such an awesome thing. I know they've been excited for a long time about this, and uh, we're excited to be a part of it. Uh, if you've got your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Galatians chapter 5 again. Uh, we're back. We're, we're doing this study, Ghost Stories, and talking about the Holy Spirit. And right now we're looking through the fruit of the Spirit as we talk about how the Holy Spirit produces things in our lives. Last week we talked about that and looked at how when we walk with the Spirit, He produces these fruit that He talks about. There's nine He talks about in this passage, and three of them we looked at last week, love, joy, and peace. Uh, we, we, we saw those briefly because I spent most of the message talking about walking in the Spirit uh, in order to produce that fruit. But, but we saw that how, God, how the Holy Spirit will produce those in believers. If you are a Christian, if you are a born-again believer in Jesus Christ, if you have surrendered your life to Him and He is the Lord of your life, He will automatically, through the power of the Holy Spirit, produce certain things in your life. Just like we talked about last week, an apple tree is going to produce apples. A peach tree is going to produce peaches. They're not going to switch up because that's what they are. And if you're a Christian, if you're truly a born-again believer, certain things are going to be produced in your life. Now, they're going to come in levels. Sometimes, like we talked about the peach orchard last week, sometimes they're sweeter. Some years they're sweeter than others. Sometimes they're bigger than other years. Sometimes they produce more crop than other years. But one thing about a peach tree, it always produces what? Peaches. See, y'all are so smart. Man, I, one of the reasons I love City Church, y'all are so smart, y'all know what a peach is. All right, now we, uh, <laughs> but this week we're going to look at the next three fruit. Love, joy, and peace last week. Patience, kindness, and goodness this week. And, uh, and, and we're going to look at those. And these are kind of some attributes of things that we show toward others. These are some things that if we do these, we're kind of, it's how we treat other people. If we're truly walking in the Spirit, if we're truly led by the Spirit, we're going to do that. And um, I don't know, I, I was, in studying this this week, there was one part of this passage that really stood out to me. Let's look in Galatians chapter 5 first, verses 22 and 23, and it says this, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith. Meekness, temperance, against such there is no law. Against such there is no law. That's an interesting thing there. Right before this passage, we saw last week where he went through this whole list of sins. And he said, these are the works of the flesh. These are things you do if you're not walking in the Spirit. These are things that people do naturally because we are born into sin, right? And the, and the thing is, in our world today, they look at it and they say things like, oh, you want to be yourself. Just be yourself and let it flow and do what comes naturally. And you know what happens every time Dwindle is himself? Some of you do. That's what's so sad. Dwindle gets in trouble because Dwindle does stupid things when he's doing it in his own power. When Dwindle focuses on self... Dwindle messes up all the time. I make bad decisions. I say stupid things. I've even, some of you guys won't believe this because I know none of you do this. I have even at times said things to my wife that I shouldn't have said. Y'all know you other men do that. 
I'm the only one in the world. But there are times that I've hurt her feelings. There are times that I have made her feel bad. There are times that I've said things in anger that I shouldn't have said. Why? Not because I was walking in the spirit, but because I was doing the works of the flesh. Because I was looking at me. When I walk in the spirit, I treat my wife much differently. And you know what happens when I walk in the spirit and I treat my wife differently the way that Jesus tells me to? She treats me much differently. And I'm a much happier man. Because when she's happy, I'm happier. And when she's upset, I promise you, she's going to make sure I'm upset. (laughs) That's just the way life works. There are consequences to how we live. And when we choose to walk in those sins that he talked about prior to these verses, all these different things that he talked about, envy and malice and hatred and and, and, and total evil works that, that are listed in that list, it's things that, that drag us down and bring consequences into our lives that we don't like. And then we want to blame the world and we want to blame everybody else and say, why is my life so bad? Why do I have to put up with this? Why is my boss such a jerk? It'd be like we heard a comedian on Last Comic Standing this year. One of the funniest things she said to me was, she said, I worked at that job nine years. My boss walks into my office, tells me to, pack, to wake up, pack up my stuff and go home. <laughs> just woke her up out of the nine years of faithful service and they fired her for being asleep what do you know hey you know that's the thing we look at it we want to blame the boss for us sleeping and we want to blame the world because there are consequences to our actions but when he's talking about these things he says but the fruit of the spirit is love joy peace long suffering kindness goodness faithfulness gentleness and self control against such There is no law. And if you look back up into verse 18, Galatians 5, 18, it says, but if if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. If you're led by the Holy Spirit, you're no longer trapped under the law. Now, does that mean we're free to do anything we want to do? (laughs) What did I say about dwindle being dwindle? Yeah, we get in trouble when we do anything we want naturally want to do but what happens when you're being led by the spirit is the spirit going to lead you into something that's harmful never is the spirit going to lead you into something that's sinful never is the spirit going to lead you into something that's going to dishonor God never so now you're not under the law anymore because you're walking in grace you're walking in truth you're walking in the blessings of God now I tell you when I was younger, y'all may not believe this, but I had a tendency to sometimes be a little arrogant. I sometimes thought I was a pretty good guy. I sometimes thought that I was pretty important. Especially this one time, we had a concert that we went to that I got to help with. And they put up these signs that behind the stage, no one could enter. They had signs on the door. They had tape back there at certain spots. No one could cross this line. No one could enter this door. No one can go back there. But you know what I had? I had a shirt with a face on it. And on the back it said staff. They didn't pay me a dime. But I could walk through that door. All those people that had paid money to come to that concert, they couldn't walk through that door. But I could. And you know what I did at 16 years old? I walked through that door, and I looked out at the crowd, and I stood there. 
And if some little kid started walking up, nope, you can't come back here. And as soon as I would tell somebody they couldn't come back there, you know what I did? I walked through the door <laughs> because I could. Because I wasn't under that same rule, that same law that everybody else was under. They weren't allowed to go in. I was. Why? Because of my position. Why are we not under the law? Because of our position in Christ. It's not because of who I am as dwindled names. It's because of who Jesus is and because of what he did on the cross that paid the penalty for my sin that now says I am free to live a holy life through Jesus in the power of the Holy Spirit, no longer condemned for what I've done in the past, but made to be like Christ. Now I've been set free. And the law doesn't bind me anymore because the law is there to show us what's wrong. The law is there to teach us right from wrong, but grace is there to say you've moved beyond that and you're free to live the life you were created to live, a life of holiness. And that's what it's about. Being led by the Spirit leads you into freedom from the law because now you've got a life of freedom in Christ. And that's an exciting thing for me. I love that, that we get to do that. And if you look down in verse 24 of this same passage, Galatians 5, 24, it says, And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh and its passions and desires. So if you are Christ, if you belong to Christ, if you are a child of God, now understand not everyone is a child of God. The world likes to say that, and we like to say everyone is, is a child of God, and, we, and everyone is the same, and that's not true. Matter of fact, Jesus was talking to a group of people one day and he said you are of your father the devil everyone is created by God everyone is loved by God and God has a desire that everyone be his child that everyone be a part of his family but not everyone is not everyone is only those who have put their faith in Jesus and repented of their sins are children of God. And if you are a child of God, if you are, belong to Christ, it says you have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Now, what does that mean? I cannot have any desires in my life? I can't have any passion in my life? No, that's not what it's saying. It's saying that now you've put away those things that are harmful. You've put away those things that are sinful. You've put away those things that are drawing you away from God. And now your desires and passions are for God. Now your desires and passions are things that are going to bring glory to God. Now your desires and passions are things that are going to bring good things in your life instead of the harmful consequences of sin. In 2 Corinthians 5.17, you probably all know this verse. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. If you are a Christian, if you are in Christ, anyone who is in Christ, the last verse says, those who are Christ's, those who belong to Christ, this one says, if you're in Christ, you're a new creation. And here's what happens. The moment that you recognize that you need Jesus in your life, the moment that you ask Jesus to forgive your sins and become the Lord of your life, there's an instant change that takes place. Now, does that mean you're perfect from that point on? No, nowhere near it. Again, I'm dwindled. Y'all seen it. I'm a Christian. I don't hide that fact. Matter of fact, not too long ago at church, at my work, we were having an issue with something that I 
felt very strongly about, and I voiced my concern. And it was something that everybody in my department agreed with me on. But none of us had really taken any action to fix the problem. And it was an ethical problem. And one of the guys looked at me and said, Dwindle, you're the Christian. What are you going to do? And that hit me hard because all of a sudden I realized these people look at me a little different. There's a couple others in that group who say they go to church here and there. And there's others that say they used to go to church. And there's a couple that just tell you flat out they don't believe at all. But they looked at me and they see me as the Christian in the group. And this is in DeSoto County, Mississippi. And I'm the rare one. Well, I've always been the rare one. I've always been the odd one. But, I've, I mean, I'm the one that's... I remember years ago where the majority of the people in that group, in a group that size, would have been saying, we're Christians, let's do something. But now in a group of about eight of us, I'm the Christian. There's a difference, and we stand out. And, and the thing is, folks, I know I'm a Christian, and if I die today, there's not a doubt in my mind that I'm going to be in heaven. If something happens to me today or tomorrow or next week or next year or 20 years down the road, or if I live to be 100, there's not a doubt in my mind that I'm going to heaven. None. I know my sins have been forgiven. I know that I belong to Jesus. I know that God, is, that, that, that God is my Father. I know that I belong there. There's not a doubt. I never questioned my salvation anymore. I haven't in years and years and years. But I'm still dwindling. I still mess up. I still make mistakes. And let's be real blunt about it. I still sin. We like to call them mistakes because that makes us feel better because then it's everybody makes a mistake. I mean, we got to look over that. But let's be real blunt. They're sins. They hurt God. They break his heart. And they take us away from him. But when do I create those? When do I commit those sins? Every time. It's when I'm walking in self. Instead of walking in the spirit. But this says, if I'm in Christ, I'm a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. It doesn't mean that you're going to instantly be perfect. But what it does mean is you're going to instantly have access to perfection. You're going to instantly have access to holiness. You're going to instantly have access to everything your father has. You are a new person. And if you choose to go against that, that's your choice. It's not his fault. It's not the world's fault that you chose to disobey. He gives us in here, he gives us three, three more fruit we're going to look at this week. We looked at love, joy, and peace last week, and this week, patience, kindness, and goodness. And in the version I'm reading, I'm reading the New King James Version, but it, it, it uses the, the phrase long-suffering. Now, I'm going to tell you something. A few weeks ago, Pastor Troy met with me and Josh and talked about this coming up, the, the birth of their baby, and how he wanted to handle it. And he was hoping to get a couple of weeks off to be able to be with the baby and, and, and have us fill in for him. And the original plan, because Josh can only be here every other Sunday, as y'all know, he leads worship every other Sunday because of his job. And Josh, um, the plan was he was going to preach one Sunday and I was going to preach one Sunday. This Sunday, today, this was my plan Sunday. He knew I was going to preach this Sunday and Josh was either going to preach last Sunday or next Sunday depending on when the baby was born. Well, then Josh's grandfather passed away, and he had to go out of town last week 
So they called me up last minute and asked me to preach. Well, then Josh still got back in town Sunday and showed up and heard me preach, and that's not fair. But we, uh, <laughs> but I went ahead and preached. And, and, but, so I ended up having to preach two Sundays. Sorry, y'all. Y'all had to put up with that. But we, we had it planned out, and we knew that. And when he told me, Dwindle, here's the sermon I want you to preach. I want you to preach on patience, kindness, and goodness. The only thing I heard is I want you to preach on patience. And again, I know Dwindle. And I got to talk about patience. Y'all have never seen me in Walmart, most likely. But if there's more than two people in line in Walmart, you know what happens? I lose my spot in line. Because I'm standing there waiting and waiting, and I don't like waiting. So then I walk over here, and I look at something over here, and then I come back, and there's somebody else in line. So then I got to wait again. And as, I, as I'm waiting and waiting, I see something over here, and I go look at that and think, ooh, I need to buy that too. And I get back in line, and there's somebody else in line. I'm not a patient person. If I'm in traffic and I see that it stopped, every, except for last night where I sat there because I had to make a stop that I couldn't go any other direction, I will go miles out of my way to avoid sitting still in traffic. It may take me 20 minutes longer, add 10 miles to my, uh, to my car, whatever I've got to do. I'm going to use extra gas, but I am not going to sit in Memphis, tra Memphis traffic for 10 minutes. I'm not going to do it. I am not a patient person. I know all of you are. And I appreciate that about you. But me, patience gets to me. And then I read in this that one of the fruit of the Spirit, one of the things that the Holy Spirit is producing in me if I'm a born-again believer, if I'm a Christian, He's going to produce in me patience? Are you kidding me? I remember I pastored a little church in Arkansas, first church I pastored. I was 23 years old when I pastored my first church. Them people, they were not the brightest because they voted me in 100%. There was only 21 people there that day that voted. It was a small little country church. In about two and a half years, we were averaging about 75 or 80, and so it, it grew. A lot of things happened, good things happened, but little country church, and we had some deacons, and I had this one deacon that was an older guy. He was in his early 70s, I guess, but he, his name was Thomas. And when you'd have a conversation with Thomas, it went like this. Well, Pastor, I've been thinking about that. The other day, my wife and I were talking about that very thing. And I've got some thoughts for you. And my thought always was, am I going to be your age by the time you finish? <laughs> I mean, but Thomas was a great guy. He, was, he loved the Lord. He was a hard worker. He, had, he, had, he was a farmer and provided well for his family. Had so much wisdom. But I don't think Thomas ever spoke without thinking through every word he was going to speak. And I don't think he ever acted without knowing what he was going to do. And Thomas had patience like you wouldn't believe. You had to to take that long to finish a sentence. But I was not the most patient person. And I think about that. I think about Thomas when I think about patience. And I think about my family when I think about patience. And, and you know, it's interesting when, when you're the one waiting, you're not very patient. But when others are waiting on you, you think they need to have patience, you know. I mean, if I'm, if I'm ready to go and we're supposed to leave at 
at 6 o'clock. I'm standing there sitting on the couch usually, whatever, waiting because I don't want to get in an argument. So I'm just, all right, it's 6 o'clock, guys. It's 6 o'clock. We're supposed to leave. Okay, it's 6.15. We're supposed to leave at 6 o'clock. It's 6.20. We were supposed to leave at 6 o'clock. And I'm trying not to say anything, and I'm being very, very impatient. But if it's one of the days where I'm running late, and I think I've got a good excuse, and all of a sudden I'm getting a text saying, where are you? You were supposed to be home 15 minutes ago. I'm on my way. I'll be there in about 15 minutes. You just need to be patient. What's wrong with you? You can't wait on me. And we, we're like that, aren't we? I mean, we want others to be patient for, on us, for us, but we don't want to be patient toward them. And here's the deal. I got real excited this week because I got a bright idea as I was studying this passage. And in, in there, because in some verses, versions it says patience, in some versions it says long-suffering. And I thought, what's the difference really? What is it? So I went and looked up the Greek. And, and I, actually, I, I actually took Greek. I can actually read some of it, but I can look up the helps really well. And Greek, in the Greek, it's this word, makrothumia. Um, and when I looked up the meaning of that word, it didn't mean patience. But you know what it really means when, they, when, it's, when it says long-suffering? It's actually the opposite of short-tempered. Do you know any short-tempered people? People that get mad real easy. They go off real fast. This is supposed to be the opposite of that. This is saying that, and I got excited when I read this because it's not just talking about normal patients of waiting in line at Walmart or getting stuck in traffic. This is talking about how we treat others. When he talks about long-suffering in this group, and it says that this is something that you're going to be, that the Spirit is going to produce in you, he's going to produce patience, he's going to produce long-suffering in your life. What he is saying is the Holy Spirit leads us to patience toward others. The Holy Spirit leads us to long-suffering toward others. It's saying that instead of being quick-tempered and ready to jump on somebody's case, you're going to be patient and hear them out. Instead of getting mad about things and going off, you're going to be patient and see what God does in the situation. Instead of getting angry and yelling and throwing something across the room, you're going to stop and work through the issue. And I thought about this and I got really excited because I remembered young Dwindle and I, and I know old Dwindle. And I know for a fact the Holy Spirit has been producing this fruit in me through the years. Perfectly, no. Have I always produced it perfectly? No. Because there are still times that I lose my temper. But as a young man, I lost it a lot. Now, I'm not going to get into all the, the different stories of altercations that I was in as a young man. But I'll tell you this one. A few years ago when Lori and I were going around speaking to churches about our mission in Nicaragua, I was at a church here in DeSoto County, and there were two guys there that I went to school with. One of them I, had, I went to school with in junior high, and he moved away, and then he moved back later. But the other one I went to school with all the way through high school. And the one that left after junior high, he left right before our ninth grade year. He and I were talking, and, and in eighth grade, he and I got into several fights to the point that, and here's how it would work. We would get in a fight and they would send us to the principal, and the principal would paddle us. And the next time they would send us to the principal, and you're going to be suspended or whatever it was, they had their little rules of how they were going to treat these fights. And we just kept getting in fights. And every time we'd go in there, oh, but we're friends now. It was just something stupid. We just got mad. Truth was, I couldn't stand the guy. 
And every time, every time he would say anything, I would cringe, and I would get mad, and the next thing you know, I'm hitting him. I mean, one day, the teacher walked out of the room for a second. I don't know what's wrong with me. I stu- he, he went to throw something away, and he'd come walking by my desk, and as he did, I stood up on my desk and said, boom, right in his jaw and knocked him down. Where am I next? In the principal's office. Why? Why did I hit him? I don't remember. I just know I was mad at him. But as he and I were talking about that, and we were reminiscing over our younger days when we fought and acted like idiots, the other guy that was standing there, his name's Paul, he looked at me and said, Dwindle, who did you not get in a fight with? And it brought back those younger days of my hot-headedness, my quick temper, short temper. Because it didn't take much. I was a little guy in high school. I didn't grow really until after high school. Uh, I know y'all are surprised to see that in my sons. Uh, But, yeah, they're both, for those of you that don't know, they're both kind of short, one of them even more so than the other. And they're, they're... they're small for their age. That's fine because they also take after their mom. I mean, she's only somewhere between 410 and 411. So it's, you know, they're short. That's okay. But I was small for my age, and I didn't like it. And people would pick on me, and I thought I had to prove that I was tough. And I let my temper get away from me. In the early days of our marriage, I never hit Lori. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. I never I, I was. I, my dad made it clear to me as a young man, you do not hit a woman. Because I did hit a girl when I was six, and he made sure that was never going to happen again. Never hit her, but I'm going to tell you, there were several times in our early days of marriage, 24 years ago, that I hit some walls, and I threw stuff against the, I threw stuff against the wall, and I acted like an idiot because I let my temper win out over common sense. And what this passage is saying is, you know what? When the Holy Spirit gets a hold of you and you're walking in the Spirit and you're being led by the Spirit, you're going to learn to control that. And I look at it now through the years. I remember, again, the other day at at work, or a couple weeks ago at work, I was pretty upset. And it was visible on my face that I was upset. But I didn't throw anything. I didn't cuss anybody. I didn't slap anybody. I I didn't hit anything. I just grunted. And that's a huge step for me. And even somebody there said, Dwindle, I've never really seen you mad. And I've been there for a good bit over a year now. And they've never really seen me mad. People that knew me 20 years ago could not have said that. People at the first church I pastored could not have said that. But the Holy Spirit's working, and he's producing fruit. And I'm telling you, when the Holy Spirit is working in your life, and you're seeking him, and you're being led by the Spirit, it controls that long-suffering. And it gets better over time the more you are led by the Spirit. But, but, but Dwindle, I have this problem and I, I can't seem to stop. Have you turned it over to him or are you trying to do it in your own power? Because I'm telling you, as long as I try to do anything in my power, I fail. Because I get wore out and I get tired of trying. But if I'm being led by the Spirit and I realize that Daddy's there next to me, I act different. The Holy Spirit leads us to patience toward others. In 2 Peter 3, 9, it says this, and this is the thing, we want to be like Jesus, right? He said this, The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all 
should come to repentance. It says Jesus isn't slack. He's not holding back. He's not sitting there taking it easy on folks as a lot of people think about it, but he's long-suffering. You know what he's saying? It's the same word that's used there in Galatians, and what he's saying is he's being patient with your sin. He's being patient with this world that looks like it's going crazy. He's being patient with these people who've turned their back on God and say he's not even real. Why? Because he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He's being patient because he knows he has a plan, and he knows there are more people that are going to come to him with time. And we want to be like Jesus. We've got to learn to be long-suffering the same way he is toward us. Patient toward others. The second thing he talks about in our list today is the second thing is that the Holy Spirit leads us to kindness toward others. He talks about kindness. Now, I know you all see me as a very kind guy. <laughs> um, actually, you know, when I thought about this kindness, there was, when I really started thinking through my life and, and different people in my life, there were quite a few people that came to my mind who were just kind people. The other night I was at a restaurant and there was a group there that was having a wedding reception and I walked through. They were out on the, the um, outside part, patio. And I walked through there and there was this little old lady. She's probably 80 years old. And she walked up and she said, Hi there, my name's Dorothy. What's your name? And I said, I'm Dwindle. She said, Oh, it's so nice to meet you. I'm the grandmother of the bride. And I said, You're proud of her, aren't you? She said, I sure am. She said, who are, you, who are you? I said, I'm Dwindle. She said, well, who are you kin to? I said, nobody. I'm just walking through. She said, well, it's still so good to meet you. And she gave me a big hug. Just a sweet, and, and, and you know what happened? Another lady, come, I heard her talking to somebody saying, man, that little old lady just walked up and hugged me and I've never met her in my life. She was just sweet. She was kind. I can remember some times in my mom's life where she wasn't so kind to me. But overall, I look at my mom and I think, that's a kind lady. Has she ever done some things that are irritating? Oh, yes. Does she ever make mistakes? Yeah. Has she ever made a wrong decision? Yeah. Did she ever spank me when she really shouldn't have? Probably not. But she was kind. She, she, she loves people. She really does. She's just a kind-hearted person. You know, I thought about it too, and a lot of you know my story. Lori and I were missionaries and living out of the country, and we came back, and we went through a divorce. And we were apart for a little while, and then we ended up getting back together. And I've had people several times ask me, what brought you back together? And you know what really did it? Kindness. But it wasn't the kindness of Lori. She wasn't really mean to me. I mean, she was at times, but that was because I was being a jerk. But an important event happened. My son started dating some little girl that I took him to the mall to see one day, and I had no idea who she was. And then he started coming to some youth group on Wednesday nights. And at that point, I was running from God, and I didn't even want to be in church, and so I wasn't going. And he started coming to church here at City Church to the 666. 
And then he begged me to come try it out on Sunday morning and kept talking about this youth pastor that was so cool. And I started coming. And that youth pastor reached out to me. And then that youth pastor became our pastor. And he began to preach. And when he preached three Sundays in a row, God spoke directly to me. And I finally repented of the things I'd been doing for the past two and a half years. And said, God, I don't want to run anymore. I don't want to play this game anymore. I want to get right. And then I met with our pastor, with Pastor Troy, and he just embraced me and showed me love. And I told him the evil, terrible things I had done and thought and acted. And the only thing he did was talk about the grace of God and the forgiveness of God and welcomed me in to this family. And a few months into that, all of a sudden, one, Sunday, one, one week calls me up and says, I want to know if you'd be willing to do an exhortation one Sunday. I said, what are you talking about? He said, at the end of the song service, when I get up there and speak, you know, and just kind of bring it all together, would you be willing to do that? And, man, I, some of you remember that first time I did it because the microphone was doing this. And I used to speak several times a week, but it scared me to death because I knew how I'd run away from God. And he had brought me back. And he had brought me back, seriously, through the word of God, through the prompting of the Holy Spirit, but largely through the kindness of a man that said, I don't care about your past. I care about you as a person. And I'm telling you, kindness makes a difference in the lives of people. And we are being led by the Spirit. We show kindness to others. Matter of fact, in Luke chapter 6, verse 35, it says this, But love your enemies. Whew. Isn't that fun? When somebody's treating you like a dog, when somebody's lying about you at work and they're getting the promotion, isn't it fun to love them? Love your enemies, do good, and lend, hoping for nothing in return, and your return will be great. And you will be the sons of the Most High, for He is kind to the unthankful and evil. There's a story Jesus tells, or there's a story about Jesus in the Scripture where there's ten lepers who lived out in a community, and they they're not allowed to come near anybody, and they have to yell out "unclean, unclean" when they get near anybody because that was the law of the day. And they saw Jesus, and they they knew he, one of them knew that he could heal. And he, they, they, but they come up, and, and Jesus healed all ten of them. And he told them, you go to, to the rabbi and show yourself so that they can pronounce you clean, and you can go back into society. And they all took off running, but the one. And the one turned around and come back to Jesus and said, thank you, Jesus. Thank you for doing this. The other nine just kept on going. They got just as healed as the, the one that was thankful. And you know what? Jesus loved those nine who were unthankful just as much as he did the one who came back and said thank you. It says he is kind to the unthankful and evil. Now we look at that and we like to talk about the brimstone and fire and, and hell and all this and think how can a, a loving God send people to hell? Well, he doesn't. A loving God creates us and gives us an opportunity to know him personally and says I've got a plan for you if you'll accept it. And I love even those who are unthankful, who are evil, who are unwilling to accept my generous offer of grace and salvation. 
We serve a, a kind God, and he asks that we be kind to others. Kindness is one of the attributes of God, and it's one of the attributes of a Christian who's being led by the Spirit. It's one of those things that will show up when a person learns to really listen to the Holy Spirit and let the Holy Spirit guide them. That's one of the problems I've had at times in church. I was a pastor for 10 years. I was a missionary for three years. I've been in church all my life. I was raised by two of the godliest people I've ever known. And we didn't miss church unless we were sick. And if we were sick, we had to prove it. And if you threw up, that usually meant you felt pretty good after that, right? So come on, you can get through the next two hours. I mean, that's, everything's fine. Come on. My mom was kind enough to say if you were running a fever, Thomas, let him stay home today. He does he have a fever. I mean, it's only 104, but he, he probably needs to rest. My dad was, man, my dad thought you need to go to church. And the thing is, today I'm grateful for that because they did teach me the Word of God. But they didn't just teach it at church. They taught it every day in our home. They, they, they showed us the Word of God. And they did show kindness. And they demonstrated it. And I look at it, and I look at some people, though, that I've seen in churches through the years, and I think, how in the world are they in love with Jesus and so angry at everybody else? I'm going to tell you, when you're walking in the Spirit, when you're led by the Spirit, you're not going to have a lot of reason to stay angry at people. Because the grace of God is an awesome, powerful thing. And you realize you're not worthy of it. So why not share it with others who are unworthy of it? The third thing we're talking about today is patience, kindness, and then goodness. The Holy Spirit leads us to goodness toward others, treating others in a good manner. What's the difference in that and kindness? Well, I was curious about that, and I looked them both up again. And there is a difference. Matter of fact, in, when you look up the word for goodness here, it's um, agathusene. And this is an active goodness. This is something that is actively being done. Kindness is, is, is kind of an attitude. It's kind of a, something that, that you're doing to, to show pleasure, and to show friendliness, to show kindness in how you're, how you're carrying yourself and how you speak to people. But goodness is actually taking a step out and doing something. It's actually giving someone something or helping someone with something or actually making a difference in some way. Goodness is actually doing something. That's why I love our Mission OB so much. We actually will step out as a church and we'll come together and we'll work like dogs to get it all together. I don't know if that's even a good illustration, is it, like dogs? I never have. I don't know about y'all, but the dogs I've had haven't worked that hard. But I know in some places they do. But we'll get out there and we'll work and in the summer we'll sweat and be outside doing the things that we do. On the 4th of July, you guys will get out, we'll get out there and pass out Kool-Aid and tea just to say I love you, just to say God loves you. We'll, we'll get out here several times a year and pass out free clothing. In the heat or in the winter, we'll come in here and do it so we're not in the cold, but we'll get out in the cold and pass out turkeys and food and walk the streets and, and tell people that Jesus loves them. Why? Because we want to show some goodness. 
We want to meet some needs, and we want to let people know that God really does love them. And that's an important thing. I was looking up, I talked about Barnabas earlier in the, in the offering talk, and, and back in Acts chapter 4, it talks about that. And Barnabas was this guy that became a Christian, and it doesn't tell us a whole lot about him in the Scripture, to be honest. But it does tell us a few things. And one of the things it says, it says, And Jonas, who was also named Barnabas by the disciples, which is translated son of encouragement. His real name wasn't Barnabas. Now here's the deal. He had a regular name. It wasn't like his mama named him Dwindle. His mama named him Jonas. Joseph, sorry, Joseph, which was a very common name in that day. Joseph. That was his name. But the disciples decided, we're going to call you Barnabas. And when I hear Barnabas, I think about barnacles on a boat. I don't know why, but I do. And I think, who wants to name Barnabas? Y'all know anybody named Barnabas? Any of y'all going to name your kid? You do? Nice guy? Any of y'all going to name your kid Barnabas? Any of you going to name your kid Dwindle? My wife wouldn't even let me name my kid Dwindle. I tried. I wanted a Dwindle Jr. She wouldn't let me. I know she was being kind. But you know, but Barnabas, the disciples named him Barnabas. Why? Because it means son of encouragement. You know what they're saying? This guy is a good guy. And you know what Barnabas did? We find out a little bit later. That was in verse 4 where we find that out. And in verse, in, I mean, chapter 4, in chapter 11, it tells us this. When he came and had seen the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them all that the purpose of heart, they should continue with the Lord. Listen, this is talking about Barnabas. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. Barnabas, back in chapter 4, is where he sold his land and gave it to the church in order to help me needs. Here in chapter 11, it says that he comes in and he encourages the church because he was a good man. He was full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and they recognized that in his life. He was a giver. He was a worker. He was somebody that made a difference. He was one of those people that when you meet them years down the road, you still remember good old Barnabas. You know how you meet some people and you never think about them again unless you run into them? Then there are those other people that just from time to time, they pop in your head because they were so good to you. That's Barnabas. And the scripture says that if we're walking in the Spirit, if we're being led by the Spirit, if we're not living under the law, we're going to be good. We're going to show goodness to people. There was one day at work that... Uh, somebody got upset at me because of a decision I made and they didn't like that decision because it meant they had to do some extra work and um, one of the ladies that I work with who is an atheist well agnostic she's an agnostic she came to me and said you know I heard that so and so was mad at you because of that I said look it's just something that has to be done they didn't do it right the first time. They got to fix it. She says, oh, I understand. She said, Dwindle, I just don't understand how anybody could be mad at you. You're so nice. And I said, well, you're so sweet. I'm glad you don't spend much time with me. <laughs> but 
she told me later, she said, you know, I'm always watching you do things around here that others don't do and help people in ways that they don't even realize you're helping them. And I really just want you to know that I appreciate that. And and she even at one time told me she was going to come visit the church, which she never has. But she, she said, Delano, I really think that you truly believe what you say you believe. And I said, well, I, I appreciate that. It's good to know that people I work with are able to see that. And I'm not trying to brag on myself. What I'm trying to let you know here is if we're walking in the Spirit, the Spirit will be seen. The evidence will be there. In Galatians 6.10 it says this, Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. As we have opportunity, let us do good to all, but especially your brothers and sisters in Christ. Let's help one another. The church ought to be a community. We ought to be there. You, we, you've been there for your pastor. I appreciate that. And there's been several times that people have been sick or had illness or had catastrophes that I've watched this church come together and be there. And, you know, we're not a rich church. We're a small church. and Some of us flat broke. But we come together in times of need. And that's what a community ought to do. That's what a church ought to do. That's what a family ought to do. And when a church can't do that, I have to question their churchiness. I have to question their how filled with the Holy Spirit they truly are. And I want to thank you that you let the Holy Spirit shine at times. But I want to ask you in your personal life, is he shining? In your work life, in your school life, in your family life, are the fruits popping out? Are people seeing the love, the joy, the peace, the patience, the kindness, the goodness, the faithfulness, the gentleness, the self-control? Is it evident that the Holy Spirit is alive and active in your life? Or do you just go through the motions and hope it shows up every once in a while? Do you make the decisions based on what I want instead of what glorifies Him? The truth is, you have a choice. Whether you're a Christian or not, you have a choice to let the Holy Spirit work in you or to try to hide Him away so that others can't see. And you do that by your actions. And whether we want to admit it or not, we do it by how we treat others. Now, are there some people who are who are patient that aren't Christians? Of course there are. Are there some people who are kind that aren't Christians? Of course there are. Are there some people who are good that, that, that do good to others that aren't Christians? Of course there are. But let me tell you, folks, when you let the Holy Spirit be your guide, when you fall in love with Jesus and say, you're the most important person in my life, the most important relationship I have, and I know that your wisdom your love is all I need. Your power can take me through any difficult time. Folks, when the Holy Spirit takes over, the world sees a difference. I can tell you story after story of people I've known through the years who became Christians and I saw a world difference in their lives years later. 
question is, what are you being led by? Are you being led by your selfish desires and passions? Are you being led by a passionate God who desires your best? I want to ask that every head be bowed, every